0: Good morning, Grace Covenant Church. Please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, the 40th Psalm. This morning, that is where we will be spending our time. And as you're turning there, I, I just want to talk about something that seems to be fairly common in human nature. And the thing that seems to be fairly common in human nature is the desire to share things that are important to us. Have you experienced this? It's kind of silly even asking that question because I know for all of us, if we take a minute and we just think about it, all of us have had an experience that has deeply touched us. And when we've had that experience, it's really hard not to talk about it. But what tends to happen is we tend to have experiences of things that may not be of eternal significance. And those things too become so important to us that we can't stop talking about them. So maybe it's recently a new diet or fad uh, that you've come across. Just ask somebody about keto and wait to hear them explain every single part of it and how it's transformed their lives. Or maybe uh, you can uh, talk about something like a a new book, a new leadership book that has really transformed somebody's ideas about leadership. Uh, Maybe a a guy like Jocko's new book on leadership and how Navy SEALs do leadership. Oh, we can't help but want to share with people how cool this thing has been in our life. Maybe it's CrossFit Just mention CrossFit and somebody can't help but share their experiences or jujitsu or whatever it may be. We get excited because this thing has had a deep experience or we've had a deep experience with this thing. And then we want to share it with other people. Maybe like our church here, um, like the books that you may see in our bookstore, there are books like Knowing God that have had a tremendous impact on our lives and so as Christians, we can't help but share, oh, you've got to read this book. I, I, I'm so excited to tell you about this book. Or maybe it's chosen by God by R.C. Sproul that had a deep impact on your spiritual life. Or maybe even the holiness of God. Something like that that has just made you say, I, I've got to talk about this thing. This morning, we're going to see from Psalm 40 this reality that David is going to show us in having an experience and can't help but sharing it. And the beauty of it in Psalm 40 is that he's talking about things of eternal significance. And so my question for you this morning is not about keto or CrossFit or whatever your favorite book is. My question this morning is how often are you, out of the abundance of your heart, excited to talk about the saving, wondrous deed of Christ in your life? How often do you shy away from it? Or how often are you You actually telling people about how Christ has brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I think this morning, David is going to show us, in fact, how to do that. So Psalm 40, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet... But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Hear the word of God. This morning we come to Psalm 40 after a very dark Psalm 39. If you were here with us a month ago when we jumped into Psalm 39, we saw the ending of Psalm 39. David literally saying a thing like this. He said, Lord, just stop looking at me. Stop disciplining me so I may die and this will be over. That's how he is talking about the deep, miry bog the pit of destruction that he's experiencing in psalm 39 and then we come to psalm 40 it is a it is a beautiful psalm of how david has waited for god and how god has delivered him but then even towards the end of the psalm as we just read david's already again calling for help it's it's actually a a beautiful snapshot of the christian life we we wait on god we're delivered And then we need to be delivered again. And so we cry out to God and rinse, recycle, repeat, right? This is the Christian life. And so this morning, I want to break this up into three categories for you to help follow along in our psalm this morning. The first part of our psalm, I I want you to title if you're a note taker, it's Reliance. So Reliance, verses one through five will be Reliance, and then moving from that part, David's going to move us in verses 6 through 10, which are going to be entitled redemption. And then after we go to redemption, verses 11 through 17 will be a request. So reliance, redemption, request. Those are the three things that we will see this morning. And so let's jump into this idea of reliance What does it mean to be reliant upon the Lord? What does it mean to rely on the Lord? Well, David begins in the first verse. Remember, he's just talking about in Psalm 39 how he just wants to die. Just let it be over. And then what does he say, the very first verse? I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, that's a a beautiful thing. And as we look at it, I I know a lot of us have probably taken great solace in the words of he drew me from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, but I want you to wait here for a second. So I waited patiently is a translation because it was used emphatically here, this idea of waiting, which seems to be um, the application that has been haunting Grace Covenant Church for months as we have been going through for Samuel, as we have been going through the Psalter, we keep being reminded that we need to wait upon the Lord. And David starts here with that very same thing. The, the literal translation would actually be I waited, I waited. I love that. He is just emphatically telling us how he has waited for the Lord. That's why we are able to sing that this morning. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. We needed to be reminded of that this morning. And so Psalm 42, we'll really talk about that, but Psalm 40, here we get the beginning. I will wait, or I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard me. He inclined to me. He heard my cry, and he drew me out from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure so when we see this in Psalm 40, I want you, if you're a note taker, when you're thinking of how do I rely upon the Lord? How is it that I do that? Well, number one is that you would wait, that you would wait upon the Lord, no matter what your circumstances may be, that you would wait upon the Lord, because this reliance upon the Lord is an actual dependence, because what we so often want to do is to stop relying on the Lord and start relying on ourself. We would much rather rely on ourselves than rely on the Lord. And what David is saying, no, no, no. We must rely on God. He is the one who drew me out of the pit of destruction. He is the one who took me out of the miry bog and put my feet on the foundation. Now this is really interesting too because we know that David has had a numerous experiences in his life, things that have happened to him, but specifically we haven't seen that David was put in some sort of miry bog. When we look at that, we have seen him be in caves, we've seen him be in fields, we've seen him be in a multitude of fights, but we haven't seen him be in a literal miry bog. Maybe we can think of Jeremiah who gets thrown into the well, or maybe even Joseph who gets thrown into a pit that more uh, helps us describe this this miry bog, but not David. So I want you to see and remember that the Psalms use figurative language to help stir our emotions to help see what David was actually feeling. And so he says, my reliance upon the Lord, or relying upon the Lord, not my duty, but what God has done for me is what set my feet upon the rock. And we're gonna get more into that when we go into our next point, but I want you to start seeing a flow of what David's doing in Psalm 40. I know we're in the first point, hang with me. But this waiting... And this experience of God answering his call then goes into verse three where he says, God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So David has been renewed in his waiting. He's been renewed in his reliance upon the, uh, the one true God. And this is, in fact, given him a song to sing about the Lord. And now remember, we're in the Psalms. The Psalms are the hymn book of the people of Israel. It, it said in the very beginning in the inscription for the choir master. So we're to sing these songs, right? And so when David is saying this, he put a new song in my mouth. This is quite literally, I think, the new song that we're reading. A song of praise to our God. And so this song is to be sung. It's not for something for David to hide in his heart, to keep away from other people. It is to be proclaimed in the mighty throng or in the great congregation. And then he says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What beautiful things for us to to consider this morning. Many will see. What will they see? They will see the experience that David has had. I think this helps us put it in a, in a timeline of David. This isn't exact, okay? There's, there's no secret Hebrew part here that helps us say that this is exactly where it is in David's life. But I think we can see the movement of David now becoming king. And I think we see that this struggle that David has been a part of has been this struggle with Saul. And we're seeing that right now as as. Pastor Joel is faithfully preaching through 1 Samuel. We see the struggle that is happening and how David is running and how he's not actually killing Saul and we'll read that even more as we continue how many times that David could have taken it into his own hands, could have had self-reliance, but no, he depended upon the Lord. And so then he sings of this to the people and the people will see it. They will see the experience that David had. They will hear it. And they will fear God. There are two types of fear that could be happening here. The fear of the fact um, that, that people are terrified that David is ascending, this experience that he's had, they're terrified of God and what will happen. The other fear here is a renewed fear in the sovereign God of the universe. This ability for us to to. Bow low to him and see him as our God, our king. And there is a renewed trust in the Lord. So part of reliance is waiting. But part of reliance is also declaring, proclaiming, confessing, witnessing, evangelizing the reality of what God has done. That is why we can rely on him. Number two is blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Now, I I want you to see that we're coming to the end of book one of the Psalms. Uh, The next Psalm is, is the last one. 42 starts the book two. And what I think is interesting is that David is pointing us back to the beginning. He's actually pointing us back to the beginning with this wording that he has for us in verse four. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. Now, this should be ringing in your ears. You should be, I think I've heard this before. It's because it's the psalm that you always start with. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. So yes, relying upon God is trusting in God. And I think the application of trust is actually waiting. And I think Pastor Joel has given us that application in the past before. So the application of trusting in the Lord is waiting upon him, relying upon him, depending upon him. And the way that we trust in God is by meditating on his word day and night. It is by not going after the proud, not going after the lie, not sitting in the seat of scoffers, not standing in the way of sinners. No, we turn from that way and we place our trust in the one true God. And again, what I think David is showing us here is just our, our want, our struggle with our flesh to be self-reliant. We want to be dependable only on ourself. Just, just look at the preppers in our day, and I've immediately offended so many people, right? They're like, don't talk about the preppers, Andrew. Don't talk about that. That's too near and dear to my heart, but you've got your bunker. You've got your food for like three or four years, and it's Texas, so you have ammunition to take on an entire army, right? Yeah, woot, woot. I'm hearing it, right? And here comes the other side, friend, right? The joke, but the reality of when we become so dependent upon ourselves, we we totally miss the boat on being reliant upon God. We, We miss when we say, it's all me. I've got this. We see the pride that we can so easily turn to. We see the pride that we can so easily cling to We can say, no, 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 no. I'm going to rely upon myself. And what David is saying, if anybody had had the gall to say, I can rely on myself, it would have been King David. It would have been the mighty warrior that they sang songs about, him slaying thousands. And this same David says, no, I must be dependent on God. I must wait for him. I must put my trust in him. I must be dependent. So this morning here, do not, do not go to that sin, that self-idolatry that's so easy for us to go to, of that pride, that we would not go astray after a lie that we would cling and be dependent upon the Lord. But then then David uh, continues, right? And we see the same cycle. And guess what? It's gonna continue to happen through this psalm. We see the same cycle where he's talking about the multiple. This is our new memory verse for the month. Um, It's not up there, but I pointed back to it. Um, You you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds, your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. So again, this morning, I want you to remember part of the Christian life is your dependence upon God, but it's the proclamation of what God has done. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. We must proclaim. We must sing of it. We must talk about it. And so David, in verses one through five, talks about reliance upon the Lord and I, I think he gives us a hint in verse five. Uh, you have multiplied your wondrous in deeds. None can compare with you. I think he gives us a, a little taste of what's about to happen in verses six through 10. So we move into our second section of the psalm, which is redemption. And oh, is this interesting, friends. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, burnt offering, sin offering you have not required. Well, that's odd, isn't it? That's odd when we think of it because this is King David writing it. He's, he's clearly under the Old Testament law. In fact, he's a king under the Old Testament law. And the, and the Old Testament kings would literally write out the law and they would keep it with themselves. And that would be their guiding um, principles would be God's word, being reliant upon the word of God, And that word is very clear in the Old Testament that there are burnt offerings. There are sacrifices. There are things that must be made for our sin. We are all sinners. We need to be atoned for. That's why there are the Levitical priests. That's why there are all kinds of sacrifices and offerings that are laid out in great detail. But David says, you've not delighted in these. You have not required. So what's going on here? What's happening? What's David trying to help us see? Well, we've already uh, preached through it with with Pastor Joel, but if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And to be reminded uh, of what's happening here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is when Samuel is rebuking Saul. Why? Because Saul actually didn't do uh, what he was called to do. He was called to go and wipe out all of the Amalekites and he doesn't verse 17 and Samuel said speaking to Saul though you are little in your own eyes are you not the head of the tribes of Israel the Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said go devote to destruction the sinners the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed why did you why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, the, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil sheep and oxen the best of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the lord your god in gilgal and samuel said has the lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and listen than the fat of rams For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. So we see this being laid out for us that even in the Old Testament, God didn't just want us to do sacrifices. He didn't want Israel to be obsessed with sacrifices. He wanted them to be obsessed with following after God, to obeying his voice. I mean, we know this as as parents, right? We'd rather not have to spank or discipline our children. We'd rather they just listen. And children, on the other side of the coin, you may have thought it was a great idea to not listen until you get disciplined, And then you think, man, if I had just listened in the first place, I wouldn't have had to to do this. I wouldn't have had to be disciplined. So obedience is what God is looking after. This is what he wants. And this is what David is proclaiming here. But it gets better. And it gets weirder, if I can just be honest. It gets a little strange here in verse 7. and verse 8, David says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. He's quoting something behold I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me I delight to do your will O my God your law is written or is within my heart well what's David talking about here the scroll of the book we we don't have the entire book of the Bible or David didn't uh, during his time he had the law the law in which he was supposed to write down keep with him and have in his heart so David is pointing then to a fact that he is a part of the law. That there is something about him that is contained within the law and that he has come as it has been written in the scroll of the book or in the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch. Ooh, I could say that, uh, in the first five books. And he says, I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. He's pointing to the fact that he is a part of this. And I would say to you this morning, I would make the argument that David is realizing at this point that he is a part of this, but he is not the part. David here is understanding that he is a type of what is to come, but not the exact thing that has to come. Um, James Hamilton in um, in his commentary of the Psalms writes this, and I think it's helpful for us to understand here. David understands that a king from Judah has been promised. And because Samuel anointed him king over Israel, and Yahweh promised to build him a house, David knew that there was a sense in which he was the prophesied one. In another sense, David knew this too. The descendant of David promised in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 14, would be the prophesied one. I think what David is doing here is he's acting as a prophet. He is pointing to the Christ that is to come. And before you cry, Isegete! And you're like, what does that even mean? Or someone who reads back into Scripture something that's not actually there. I want to remind you that this is not the first time that David has done this. Psalm 2. We see David talking about the Lord that will sit down at the right hand of my Lord. Right? He's pointing to the Christ that is to come. Psalm 22, we read the actual words of Christ um, when he is on the cross and David pointing to this fact. In fact, we read it all over the Psalms. Psalm 110, verse 1, we see it again. Friends, Psalm 40, we see it here. Now, why can I make this claim? Why can I say something so bold that this is talking about Jesus? Well, it's because when we look in the breadth of Scripture, we see that the New Testament is the best commentary on the Old. Well, why is that? Because it's inspired word of God. It's not just some guy that has a PhD that's worked really hard and I really like those guys uh, and I really value their opinion, but it is the word of God. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 starting in verse five. And you know what? This afternoon, go home and read all of Hebrews 10. It'll be super encouraging and you'll love it. So go back and read the whole chapter. But this morning we are going to sit in verses five through 10 and it says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, big stop. Let's just stop right there. What is the author of Hebrews doing? He is testifying that when Christ came into the world, this is what he actually said. These are Jesus's words. So this is not in the gospel, it's not in the book of Acts, but these are the words of Jesus Christ. Pay very careful attention here. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus is saying, David was talking about me. Friends, even in the Old Testament, the gospel is being Proclaimed. We continue in Hebrews 10. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, talking about those laws, in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He is the great sacrifice. There is no need for any other. Because he was the lamb of God and his blood atoned for all sin. Praise be to God. So, David points to Christ. He is pointing to Christ. He is pointing to the redemption that is found in God. Why can we rely on God? Because there is redemption in God. We are atoned for, so we are able to say, I can rely on Him because He has made a way for me. Now, it gets a little more geeky, so hang in there, okay? Hang in with the geekiness for a minute, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. So David, as he is continuing here, um, the church fathers like Augustine says, this is it, this is all Christ. There is no meaning for, for David in that time. He is literally just pointing to Christ. And woe is me to disagree with someone like Augustine. But I think we see... David, in his context, talking about experiences that he's had, and still the ability for him to be pointing to the Christ. But what I want you to see is that it still works. It still works in verses 9 and 10 for Christ being the one who has told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. He, he came to share the gospel, the good news, the will of God. He came to do that to all the people. Uh, specifically to the people of Israel, to the great congregation of the people of Israel. Now, if you look in the Greek Septuagint, that's just a fancy word for the translation of the Old Testament into the Greek. When you read this very verse, I have told the glad news. That word is actually what gets translated into our New Testament as euangelion. And that word, so cool, means the gospel. When we see this as pointing to Christ, I have told the gospel of deliverance to the great congregation. This is the good news of Psalm 40. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. It's pointing to the deliverance that we have in Christ. Friends, if this is not a psalm that you tend to go to would you go and would you read it and would you be encouraged how about the glad news the gospel of jesus christ the gospel that is the deliverance of god the gospel that is the steadfast love and faithfulness for salvation would you remember it And David here, also proclaiming this great news. Again, we see the context of Psalm 39 coming into 40. He is proclaiming the great news to the people of Israel, to the congregation. He cannot hold the deliverance. He cannot hold the steadfast love, that covenantal love. He cannot hold God's faithfulness in his heart. He can't do it. He literally has to create a new song and then lead the congregation and singing it together. He can't conceal it. Friends, why is it so difficult for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do we again and again have the hesitancy if it is the abundance of our heart? David can't help but dance and sing. You've got to love David. He proclaims it. He sings it. He talks about it. He witnesses to it. He is convicted of it. He must, he must tell the people of their God and why we should be reliant upon him because of the redemption he has given us. So then we move from redemption. We move from the good news of Psalm 40. We could do a whole sermon series in that. I have to contain myself. Um, And then we go into verses 11 through 17, which are the request, okay? So we began verses one through five in reliance, right? We, We wait for God, we trust in God. And as we do those things, as we trust in God, as we delight in his word, as we meditate on his law both day and night, we are able to wait for him. We are able to remember the experiences of God, his redemption in our own life where he drew us out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog and put our feet on secure foundation. We remember the gospel of Jesus Christ as he once and for all abolished That system of needing to make sacrifices in his once and for all sacrifice we, re- we remember the redemption of God. And then that leads us into requests. That leads David into request. So David immediately begins in these verses 11 through 17, which is a prayer of supplication or petition to God. He says, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love, he's repeating of those ones earlier, your faithfulness will ever preserve me. What good news, friend as you go to the throne room of God to remind yourself of the abundant wondrous deeds of God, of his abundant mercy on your behalf, of his covenantal love that cannot be broken. As you go there with your, with your needs, as you're in the storm, David can, can testify to being in the storm, but as you go before God, how you can know That God has mercy for you. And that when you're not faithful, he is. And that you can rely upon him. He reminds himself this because why? Because the evils have encompassed him, right? Man, didn't you just get saved from him, David? What's going on with you, right? And and we we can point that out in Psalm 40 and be really quick to be like, dude, you just got saved. Why are you asking to be saved again? Just enjoy it for a minute. But that's our lives, My God is so good in Psalm 40 that he's like, you know what, I'm gonna show you exactly what you look like. Help me, oh, you saved me. And then two minutes later, I need your help again. But guess what, that's what God wants. He wants that utter dependence upon him. He wants us to depend on him and not on ourselves. And then he talks about, David's very clear, my iniquities, his own sin has caught up with him. And so he cries out to God. In fact, these are imperatives. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. He's able to just cry out to God for deliverance, for help. And then he kind of lists that out, that it would be because of these people who are are coming after his life, these people who are scoffing at him, these people who are seeking to snatch his life away, Those people who are saying, aha, aha, gotcha. He's asking, Father, deliver me. Give me help. And then what does he do? He goes into the same rotation again, friends. We saw it in reliance. We saw it in redemption. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Friends, if you get nothing from this sermon... If you've been saved by Christ, you better sing about it. You better talk about it. You better be constantly thinking about it. And you better be sharing it. I lovingly, as your pastor, I don't want to beat you up over that. But I want you to see from Scripture that it is so important. And it actually gives you a window into your soul. Are you not wanting to share Christ? Why? Are you not dwelling on the richness and the beauty of Jesus, who is your salvation. Which would lead you to be out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth would speak, great is the Lord. And then David's able to end it with, but as for me, right, I'll I'll tell everybody, remember, we must sing of these things and surely he's a part of that, everybody. As for me, I am poor and needy. Maybe underline this verse, friends. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. What a beautiful thing to be reminded of. Number one: David is poor and needy. That guy um, is, when we think of it, was not poor. Uh, he was the king of Israel. He was doing OK. But what he's saying is that he's poor in spirit. He is a needy of God for his salvation. He is completely dependent and reliant upon God because he knows of the redemption that is found in faith and God. And so he says, I am poor and I am needy because we are always poor and needy. We're always in need of God to be dependent upon him. And then this is the one that you need to meditate on all week. But the Lord takes thought for me. Would you remember that when you feel like you are all alone? Would you remember that when you are consumed by the thoughts of other people? When you are consumed to go after the lie and after the pride of of maybe your own self uh, creating this identity for you or maybe other people saying things that weigh you down and create in your mind some sort of thing that you must follow or you must be? Remember that the Lord takes thought for you. It's you God takes thought for. If you are in Christ, he Loves you. He wants you to bring your requests to him. We learned this week as we were going through our Puritan study that this is Christ's work on our behalf right now in heaven. He is our mediator. He longs for us to bring our requests before him. This is his heavenly ministry towards us. This is the encouragement we have in Christ. The Lord takes thought for you and that's why we can say he is our help and our deliverer do not delay o oh my god so this morning as a reminder we've worked through reliance we rely on the lord by waiting and trusting and by proclaiming we not only rely on the lord but we rely on him because of his redemption So we proclaim the incredible redemption, the most wondrous deed of Christ dying for our sins, and we proclaim the redemption of Christ in our own lives to all of those around us. And because of the redemption we have experienced, we are able to unabashedly enter the throne room of grace and request things of our God because he thinks of us, because he wants us to do that. So I want to end this morning where I began. Let me ask the question, why is it that we are hesitant to proclaim the mighty deeds of God? Why is it that we are much more comfortable with proclaiming things that do not have eternal significance? Your diet, your martial art, your sports, your whatever, fill in the blank. The cool new book you read does not have eternal significance. Our time is short here, friends. Proclaim the thing that is eternally important. So why don't we do these things? I think it's because we lose sight of the wonderful deeds of God. I think as Christians, we become numb to the gospel. I think we say, okay, I hear that again and again, but you don't remember the awful sinner that you were and the desperate need of Christ that you had. This morning, I want you to be reminded from the Psalms, which if you had to summarize the Psalms, I think it would be one of them, would be remembering the wonderful deeds of God. So this morning, I want you to be reminded of them both from the scripture as we read and from your experience. So you've all got homework. This is your homework today. If you are a believer in Christ, as you leave this place and you go out to eat or whatever you may do, um, as you sit around your table with your family, I want you to recall the redemption that Christ has provided for you. I want you to tell your family, this is what happened in my life where I was brought from darkness to light. I want your kids to hear your testimony. I want your husband to hear your testimony. I want your wife to hear your testimony. I want your friends at lunch to hear your testimony. And I want us all to be reminded of the wonderful deeds of God. Because out of the overflow of a heart saved by grace should be a mouth that sings of that grace. Number two, the other conclusion that we can come to this morning. I want to point out that this is possible that if you are ashamed of the gospel that saved you and you do not even want to talk about it, you'd rather talk about a host of other things that it is in fact possible that you are not saved by Christ. This is hard to hear this morning. But if you don't have a passion for Jesus Christ, It might be because you don't actually know him. This morning, I hope you hear of the sweetness of the gospel, that Christ came to do the will of his father and he has completed that will. John chapter six, I know we're we're concluding, we're coming to an end, but I can't help it. John chapter six, we read that Jesus said that he came to do the will of his father. What is the will of his father? We read it here in John chapter six. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. This is verse 35, if you're taking notes. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, this is the will of the father and Christ has accomplished it on the cross in his death that he died to take the wrath of God and his burial and his resurrection on the third day and his heavenly ministry as the mediator of God where he sits at his right hand even at this moment. And what your call this morning is, if you are not in Christ, is that you would turn from your sin and that you would believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is it. So this morning I would implore you, pray. Ask God to give you faith in Christ. Repent of your sins and follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when this happens, you'll soon realize that it is hard to contain the wondrous deeds of Christ. You will want to sing of it. You will want to proclaim it. You will never again want to hide it in your heart. Let's pray. Oh God, our God, how majestic are your deeds in all the earth. Your creation is Proclaims your deeds from the rising of the sun until the setting of it. Your beautiful creation cries out to us that there is a God. And Father, your word tells us what we must do to be in a right standing with this God. And we heard it this morning that we would believe on the sun, that we would repent of our sin and that we would have eternal life. Father, I pray this morning that we would be reminded of these wonderful deeds, that we would not be able to contain them, but out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth would speak. And if those in here who have not heard, Father, may your spirit burn in their heart to where they can do nothing but believe on Christ and turn and follow you and walk in the path of righteousness. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.